Well, that's what we want to talk about to say this morning is preach the word. But we're really going to talk about the role of the preacher uh, as it's revealed within first and first and second Timothy, and that's why we read from Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. Three points I want us to give consideration to this morning, and it was mentioned in the class. Paul's charge to Timothy, and then the seriousness of that charge, and then the specifics of that particular charge. Now, as we get into this, I want to remind you that in 1 Timothy so far, we have talked about various topics within the church because Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And within that, from the very beginning of the letter, he says the goal of our teaching, of our preaching, is that you might have love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. So at the very beginning, chapter 1, about verse 5, here's the goal, Timothy. And this is what we're trying to do. But in doing that, I'm going to teach you about all these other things and I want you to teach others about these things. And I want you to talk about the role of men and women within the church. He talks about modest apparel. He talks, he talks about Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He talks about elders. He talks about deacons. He talks about widows. He talks about benevolence. He talks about all those things. But oftentimes, whenever we think about First and Second Timothy and Titus, we refer to these as the pastoral epistles. Now, even in our very beginning, as we started to study of First Timothy, we sort of corrected that. Harkwriter mentions that in his book also, that a better understanding or a better title, a description of these letters would be the minister's epistles. That would be a more biblically correct, scripturally correct description of these letters. Because Paul is writing to Timothy and to Titus, which Timothy he has left in Ephesus, and Titus he has sent to Crete. And when he writes to Titus, he said, I sent you there so that you might straighten out certain things. Well, certainly as he writes to Timothy, we see that regard also that he wants Timothy to straighten out certain things. So I want to mention this as we get into this consideration, this study this morning. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, Paul will tell Timothy, this is sort of to paraphrase, but he will say, if you teach these things, you will be a good minister of the gospel. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where Paul will tell Timothy to preach the word. And then in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, he says, do the work of an evangelist. So as you read through 1 and 2 Timothy and you, or you recognize, notice the phrases that Paul uses in regards to Timothy, he says, you are a minister. That word minister just means you are a servant. And then he tells him to preach. So therefore, if you do that, you are a preacher. <laughs> and then he says, do the work of an evangelist. 
fulfill your ministry. An evangelist is one who brings good news. Now sometimes as you look at these letters and the instruction that he gives, you might think not think that it's all good news. <laughs> but when you understand the goal behind it, love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. It is good news. All of it. Because that's the goal of it. And so Timothy, you're a servant. Timothy, you are a preacher. Proclaim it. Timothy, you are an evangelist. Bring the good news. Bring all of it. And so we have to keep that in mind. So once again, whoops, I don't want to move that yet. Once again, oftentimes I talk about the big picture of things, right? <laughs> and so in order for us to kind of understand, even though we're still in 1 Timothy, in order for us to understand the role that Timothy is fulfilling while he is there in Ephesus, we give consideration to 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus as we give consideration to that role. So in 2 Timothy 4 and verses 1 and 2, and I'll just read this quickly again. It says, I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And as I mentioned earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 1, the reason why Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus because there were those who were teaching things that were contrary to sound faith. And their influence was coming into this area. So Timothy, I want you to go there. I want you to teach these things and this will help to overcome the influence that these teachers are having. <coughs> Same chapter, chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul will tell Timothy, if you do this, you will wage the good warfare. What's that sound like? <laughs> There's a battle going on, isn't it? I want you to get, I want you to engage the battle. Chapter 5 and verse 21. He will tell him. You teach these things without prejudice and without partiality. Now stop and think about that. Timothy. And at one point he will tell him, let no one despise your youth. So Timothy, there may be some old fogies there who look down on you because you're young. Now, I want to just give you a little insight into the life of preaching, okay? Let's be honest, right? Truth of the matter is, preachers are human. Don't take this personally, okay? And if you have questions for me afterwards, feel free to ask. But I'm telling you, preachers just like everybody else, Sometimes there's people that rub you the wrong way. <laughs> and then there's some people that you really like. 
And so Paul tells Timothy, I want you to preach this without prejudice and without partiality. That's not always easy. There may be some, you might have a tendency to not want to tell them what they really need to be told in order to save their soul. I heard a preacher one time, private discussion we were having, he said, you can actually become gospel hardened. I said, what? (laughs) He goes, you get beat up enough, you become calloused. (laughs) Oh, I see. But on the other hand, what if there's somebody you really care about, somebody you really love? Maybe this is a relative. And they need to know the truth. Could it be possible that as a human being, handling God's Word, that you might be tempted to twist it just a little bit to fit their situation? Just saying. Preachers are human. And Paul says, I want you to preach it without prejudice and without partiality. In chapter 6, in verse 20, Paul will tell Timothy, O Timothy, guard what has been committed to your trust. Timothy, you guard this. Because it's been committed to your trust. In 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2. Paul will say, Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Do you think that got Timothy's attention? I think it probably did. So as we take a look at this, Paul's telling Timothy, you are a servant. You are a servant of God, but you're a servant of these people also. You're a minister. You're an evangelist. Bring the good news. You're a preacher. Proclaim it. In chapter 4, and verse 16, Paul will say, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now I want to point out something else. And this is the part that I was saying, isn't it interesting that preachers are the one who preach on preaching, right? So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 24, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me get in the right book, in verse 24, Paul will tell him, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. 
but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant to them repentance so that they may know the truth. Timothy, don't quarrel. Be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. You think that's always easy? Have you known some preachers who lose their patience? Have you known some preachers that maybe they don't teach with humility? But that's what Paul tells Timothy. Now we need to understand that. And we need to understand the charge that Paul has given Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you therefore, but I want you to back up. See, because within our Bibles, we have these chapter breaks, right? (laughs) And what those chapter breaks do sometimes is they break the chain of thought. And so oftentimes we quote 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2 separate from 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17. Now are we familiar with 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17? I think most of us all. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge you, therefore, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. You see what he just said? That's the context. Oftentimes we quote 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. And we say we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. And are we? Yeah, we are. But what's the context? Who's the man of God that is being talked to in that context? Paul's talking to Timothy. So what's he saying? Maybe we should answer that question by asking another question. How does the God-breathed scriptures supply the God of man with everything that he needs? Let me say it like this. You know what this does for you as you seek to preach the gospel? This is what makes you confident. Equipped for every good work. This is what makes you, O man of God, competent to live the life of a servant. 
of an evangelist, of a preacher. That's what makes you competent to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Listen to chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 now. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Time will come, Timothy, when they won't want to listen to you. We kind of studied that on Wednesday night with Samuel, right? And Samuel was kind of taking it personal, and God tells you, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so that's kind of essential, or the same, as what Paul is telling Timothy here. Timothy, there's going to come a time, they won't want to hear you. And they'll be looking for teachers that will satisfy them and what they want to hear. They'll have itching ears. But Timothy, you need to remember that you are a minister, you are an evangelist, you are a preacher. And even though they might not appreciate it, this is what I want you to do, is to endure hardship, afflictions. Remember the goal. Love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. And I want you while you're preaching to do that with patience and long-suffering in humility, Timothy. Really. And oh, by the way, you may want to take a little wine for your stomach. (laughs) I just thought I'd throw that in there. I don't think that's really the context, but (laughs) it's because of Timothy's ailments. Not because the brethren are driving him crazy. (laughs) But you see what Paul's telling Timothy? You're a servant. You're an evangelist. You're a preacher. And you may have to endure hardship and afflictions. But I want you to continue. And to be an example. In love and faith and purity. In humility. Teaching these things with all long-suffering. Because there's going to come a time when they won't want to listen. But the goal is to save souls. So don't let you get in the way of the work you've been given. And the position that you hold. And the message that you're delivering. And if you do that, You can save yourself and you can save those who hear you. Timothy, this is to paraphrase, summarize. This is what equips you for life and character and the work you've been given to do. It's not your charming personality. It's not your good looks. It's not that you attended the right college. It's not that you dress nice or you smell nice. All those could be beneficial, though. 
God gave you what you need, Timothy. His word. God breathed. Makes you confident. Because that word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing both the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Timothy. Yours as well as theirs. And so when you handle the scriptures, you handle the most powerful tool there is. Because it's the only one that can make people who are spiritually dead alive. That's why Paul wanted Timothy to understand. You're a minister. You're a servant. You're an evangelist. Bring the good news. Bring all of it. You are a preacher. Proclaim it. That's what God wants you to do. Secondly, this is a serious charge. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I charge you there before, there before God and Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. So what's Paul reminding Timothy of? Timothy's in Ephesus. He's been given this work to do. And Timothy, I want you to be reminded before God and before Jesus Christ and He will judge the living and the dead. You know what that's saying? That's saying He's omnipresent. He's always there, Timothy. And one day you will give an account for the way in which you carried out your ministry. Did you fulfill it? That's what he's saying. So when you preach, Timothy, remember who it is that you're really trying to please. And when you preach, Timothy, remember those who hear you are going to answer to him also. And this is serious, Timothy. I charge you. We have to be reminded also the context of this letter, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. And that's the reason why I had us read down through verse 8 this morning. Because we think about Paul. And we think about as he pens this letter. And where is he? He's in Rome. He's back under arrest. This time it's not house arrest. This time it's probably the Mamertine prison. And so he's writing to Timothy, and this is the last letter that he will ever pen. And what does he say? I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Paul knows it will not be long before he will literally pass from this life and he will stand in the presence of the one he has served. 
Timothy. I'm so close now I can see it. But I want to remind you of it. So in 2 Timothy 4, he would tell him to preach the word. And he tells him in that same context that there will come a time when they will look for teachers who will please them. And they won't want to listen to you. And it's similar to when God sent Isaiah to preach to Israel. And they said unto, unto, unto Isaiah, no longer prophesy to us, but rather prophesy unto us smooth words. <laughs> Tell us what we want to hear. I want you to stop and think about this for just a moment. Here's Paul writing to Timothy, and we often say the young evangelist. He's the young servant. He's the young evangelist. He's the young preacher. And he's giving him instruction on his character, conduct, and how to carry out to fulfill his ministry. Could you imagine? Part of a congregation looking for a preacher and Paul shows up I'd like to apply well that's nice could you tell us a little bit about yourself sure I'd be glad to well first of all you need to know that pretty much everywhere I've been there's always been trouble I've spent a lot of time on the run. And when they did catch me, I spent time in jail. I've never made enough money to buy my own home. And most of the time when I was someplace, I would get a second job to help support myself. I've helped start churches, but I've never been involved in building a building. I've never been on TV. I've never been on radio. I don't have a Facebook page. And I'm not a tweeter. But I've written a few letters that some people say are weighty. But those same people also say, and it kind of hurts my feelings, that my appearance is not impressive. Same church told me that if I was coming, I needed to bring a letter of recommendation. Let me ask you would you listen to a guy like that? Would you listen to Paul when he says, There's one Savior, there's one God, there's one faith. There's one baptism. And when he says that, what he means is that there's one practice. That's what he's pointing out. And so we all serve the same God. We all save the same Lord and Savior. We all practice the same things. Would you listen to him? 
Would you listen to him when he says that marriage is for life and that marriage is between a man and a woman? Would you listen to him when he says in regards to race equality that we are all from one blood? Would you listen to him when he says that we should be law-abiding citizens? But that the first role of government is to protect its citizens? Would you listen to him when he says that one day we will all give an account? Would you listen to him when he says that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to take vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel? Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Paul tells Timothy. I charge you. Before God. And Jesus Christ. Who will judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Thirdly, the specifics now of this charge that he's given. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, preach the word. Well, let me ask you, what does that mean? Well, we say, well, you, you, you got to preach this. Well, that's true. We got to preach this. Kiriso. That's the word that is oftentimes, most often, used in the New Testament when it's talking about preach, proclaim, to herald. But there's another word that goes along with that in the Greek. Instead of kariso, it's kirix. And that describes the one who is delivering that message. It was oftentimes used in ancient times of one who was sent into a foreign territory and to warn them the king is coming with his army and these are the terms of surrender and peace. And if you do not agree to the terms, then what will follow is destruction. So it's Cariso proclaim, herald, Delivered by Kariks. And the message that they brought was with the authority from the king. It's not their message. They have no authority to change it. And they deliver with the authority of the king these terms. When Paul writes to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, he will tell him to do these things with all authority. Where did Titus get his authority? It's from the king. It's not the authority resides in Titus. It's the word that he has that comes from the king. It's Matthew 28 
when Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. And now you go and preach. And go and make disciples. The king has given you the message to deliver. It's with his authority. And you don't change it. And these are the terms. And they could choose to accept it or reject it. But you're to know if you reject it, there's consequences. Because the king sent the message. So let me give you an illustration. Have you ever been invited to a party? Most of us have, right? At one time or another, birthday party, something that kind of thing, graduation party, whatever it might be. But have you ever been invited to serve on a jury? The nice folks of Platte County sent me a notification in the mail one day that I had been invited to serve on the jury. <laughs> now as we think about those two invitations, there's a difference. One's just an invitation. The other one is a summons. Now, if you're invited to a birthday party, graduation party, whatever it might be, and for some reason you can't make it or you just decide to ignore it, there may not be too many ramifications, any real big deal if you decide to do that. You might hurt somebody's feelings, but hopefully they'll get over it. <laughs> and maybe you can offer a proper excuse. But if you get summoned and you ignore it, you're going to jail. So the preachers are to preach the word. And it's with the Lord's authority. And it's announcing, it's declaring the king's terms. And oh, it's an invitation. But it's more than an invitation. It's a summons. Remember the parable of the marriage feast? And some began to make excuse. Remember that? Oh, I bought a piece of land. I've got to go see it. Oh, I bought some oxen. i got to try them out. And then, at the marriage feast, there was one who came in and he didn't have the proper garments. And he was asked, how did you get in here? So you're invited. You're summoned. These are the terms. And it's a gracious invitation. But don't ignore the king. And when you come, 
you have to be dressed in the proper attire. Paul wasn't chased out of town for handing out birthday invitations. He wasn't chased out of town and beaten and stoned and left for dead and then later put to death because he was just doing daily devotionals. He was preaching God's word with all authority challenging people's beliefs their actions and their lives and telling them you got to submit to the king it's a summons but secondly when Paul tells Timothy to preach the word he did want him to understand you don't have the right, the choice to change it. You preach this word. These God-breathed scriptures are what are all sufficient. Now, in times gone by, within my life, preaching has undergone a lot of changes. There was a time when it became real popular to sort of preach pop psychology. You remember that? Those of you that are old enough? And there was a time when it was kind of popular to preach self-help and talk about these self-help books. Remember that? And even up to this day, there are pulpits that are used for political purposes. Pop psychology, self-help, politics. Well, let me say this about that. If you're just talking about pop psychology or if you're talking about self-help books or if you're talking about politics just for the sake of talking about those things, then this is what you need to do. Stop. (laughs) But let me tell you this also. If you're talking about psychology, if you're talking about self-help, if you're talking about politics, God's Word covers each and every one of those. He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it is an all-sufficient guide for us. So let me run this by you. Psychology. It's our thoughts. It's our emotions. It's our will. As individuals. As we look upon the world and the way we perceive it, the way we interpret it, and that we apply it to ourselves. Do you think there's any confusion today? And how the world is being perceived? And therefore how a person perceives themselves? There are many places that when you are born today, don't put anything down on that birth certificate about gender. Do you think there's any confusion today about whether or not you're male or female? Do you think God's Word touches on psychology? How about who am I? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? Do you think that would help eliminate a lot of confusion in the world today? 
I won't ask you to do it now, but you can do it whenever you get a chance. Pull out your hymnal and take a look at the words of Amazing Grace. And do you remember it says, Healing of the Mind? Remember that in there? Amazing Grace. It is God's grace. Because He's given us this word. And it helps us to understand who we are what we're doing here and where we're going you think that could help some people is that self help and how about politics I've heard people say you should not bring politics into the church well let me say this to you it's been here for a long time (laughs) read Romans 13 it's right there And Paul talks about what the role of government is. You know what the role of government, its first responsibility is? To protect the innocent and punish the evildoer. Is that what's taking place in this country today? And do you think maybe that needs to be preached, proclaimed, good news, (laughs) so that people understand and are not so confused? If you're just preaching politics for the sake of politics, then leave it alone. But if you're teaching God's Word and how it applies to government, then it needs to be taught. Go off on my soapbox for just a second. (laughs) We have certain inalienable rights. Our founding fathers understood that. Do you know what they are? It's life. It's liberty, and it's the pursuit of happiness. And do you know where we got those? From God. Not from government. And when government tries to take those away, they're not just opposing individuals. They're opposing God. And if you have to make a choice between God or government... God wins every time. Amen. So that's my political speech for the day. <laughs> Don't change it. Just preach it. And then thirdly, as he says, preach that word, he wants us to make application because he says, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. So Paul is saying that God wants it applied. I want to notice just a couple passages and I'm going to close this. Because I want to make sure I emphasize this point because I know sometimes that when I'm preaching, I become emotionally involved. You ever notice that? (laughs) Chapter 1 and verse 16. 1 Timothy. Paul says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. You know what Paul just said? God was long-suffering with me. Remember Paul's life? 
when he's Saul of Tarsus and how he persecuted Christians and he opposed Jesus Christ and Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and what did he ask him? Why do you kick against the goads? <laughs> You're just making it hard on yourself. I'm trying to get you to go in a certain direction. I'm trying to get mankind to go in a certain direction. And you are opposed to it. And Paul says he was long-suffering, but that was a pattern for those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So what's Paul telling Timothy? Be patient, Timothy. Keep teaching, Timothy. Keep praying, Timothy. Because you never know. Maybe they'll finally turn. Just like I did. And they'll listen. Second Peter 3 and verse 15. Peter says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. What's Peter saying? The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. And Paul, he wrote to you about that. He understands that. And so, Timothy, you preach that word, and you be an example, and you be patient, because the time is going to come when they may not want to hear. But I want you to keep preaching. Because that's your responsibility. As a servant. And as a preacher. As an evangelist. Bringing the good news. It reminds me once again of Isaiah. Do you remember when God was going to send Isaiah? Do you remember what Isaiah's question was? He said, How long, O Lord, and he said, till cities are laid waste, until houses are without man, and the land is destroyed. And then in verse 13, he says, why? He says, because there'll be a seed. There'll be a remnant. There may be a lot that don't listen. But there'll be some who will. So Isaiah, you just keep proclaiming. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Last thought, Second Timothy 4 let me turn there and just read it. Second Timothy 4 and verse 5. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is what I want you to do, Timothy. You may have to endure afflictions. I don't know if you've read it lately or not, but if you turn over to Hebrews, the 13th chapter, about verse 23... The Hebrew writer talks about Timothy. And what's it say about him? It says he's just been set free. What's the implication? He hasn't been free. <laughs> he's been locked up. See what I'm saying? Timothy? It happened to me. It may happen to you. But that's not the point. You keep preaching, Timothy. Last illustration. Promise I'll close. We have bodies. We have physical bodies. And within these bodies, we have ears, we have eyes, we have nose, we have hands, we have feet. 
And those are all important. But they're not essential. You can live without your eyes. You can live without your ears. You can live without your nose. You can live without your hands. You can live without your feet. But you know what you can't live without? You can't live without your heart. Because it's not just essential. Or just important. It's essential. You can't live without your heart. God's word is at the heart of everything we believe and everything we do. So Paul tells Timothy, you preach that word. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to do that very this very day. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's the king extending his invitation. If you're a child of God and you've not been living as you should, you need to come back to him and make your life right. Now is the opportunity while together we stand and while we sing.